Revolution Rock. Can I snag? Do you have lyrics for that? Well, can I just steal your worship music? What a time of worship. I was getting ready to come up here this morning during that last song, and I was thinking how sorry I am. Might seem like an odd thing to think, but I was thinking how sorry I am for everybody who wasn't able to be here this morning. What a time of worship. Danny, thank you for sharing. Thank you for faithfully delivering what the Lord laid on your heart. Starting with what he shared and then all through worship, it was just, it was good to fellowship and music and truth. We sang through, we talked through some difficult things. Uh, There's a couple of things that I wanted to draw out of these worship songs. We sang about the goodness of God and then we sang about whose battle it is. And sometimes these songs can be really familiar. We've sang The Battle Belongs a bunch. It's a pretty familiar song. You hear the song start, you know where your part is, you know what to sing, you know who's going to sing what, and who's going to lead what, and once in a while the worship team changes it up for us a little bit, but we're familiar with them, and sometimes we sing through the truth of them without really letting it permeate into our soul. Just thinking about all these songs put together, the, the battle is his. And then we sang this last song about the battle is his, but the prize is ours. And I got this picture, and I'm not much without my metaphors. So I got this picture when I was back there of uh, taking your kids to the carnival. Everybody seen the sledgehammer event at the carnival? You know, it's this giant foam sledgehammer, and If you can hit the thing hard enough to send the other thing through the roof, then you get a giant stuffed bear to clean around for the next decade. And the game's kind of rigged. No kid can never do it. You can't swing the sledgehammer hard enough. My kids can't, but I can. And so while I have no interest personally in owning a giant stuffed animal... I see my kids' desire for it. So I'll fight for them. I'll swing. And I'll win. And then when they hand me the bear, what do I do? Do I go skipping through the carnival with the bear? This is my bear. I've won this giant bear. No, in fact, most carnival workers won't even give it to me because they know I wasn't fighting for it for me. So when I swing the hammer and the thing goes through the roof, they hand the bear right to my son or my daughter. And I got this picture that the battle belongs to the Lord. He's swinging on our behalf today. And he's not swinging on our behalf because he wants to go running through the parade with the prize. He's swinging on our behalf. He's fighting our battles. The prize, heaven, is ours. And how we can sing that song, we long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. And I thought about this body and the people that I know, and I know I don't know anywhere near all of the loss that this body has endured. But I know quite a bit of it. I know a portion of it. And what I know, I had to think of each of you, and I went 
from that side of the room and just all the way across, across the stage and everywhere, across the back, the loss that we've experienced and how when we sing these songs, the hymn of heaven, there will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Thank you, Jesus. And we know as believers today that death is not just someone leaving this life. There's death we can experience in relationships. There's death we can experience in, through symptoms of other things going on in our lives. But there will be a day when all of that death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again, holy, holy is the Lord. And we sing that with anticipation that when young ones that have left too early, people that have left in the middle of their lives, people that have left maybe at the point of life when everyone in our society says, well, you know, it's natural, they're however old, and we say that like we're trying to make it somehow, it's like, well, it's better. It's still loss and it still hurts when people leave this life and we can sing this song, the hymn of heaven, we can sing it anticipating, excited for reunions, excited to see our Savior face to face. And again, we closed that song and I went back to the amazing love that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving, but God, you are so good. What a time of worship. I'm just, we could just go through it and if, if the worship team wanted to come, we could just sing all those songs all again and then we could go to lunch. What a powerful time of worship this morning. So thank you, worship team. Let's give them a round of applause for put, bringing that for us this morning. You want to flip the lights on, Danny? We can get into our rest of our teaching this morning. That was just, that was huge for me. And I, all, of, all of it is accessed by what we're talking about this morning. Before we get into the teaching, happy Independence Day tomorrow, everybody. It's awesome to be free. It's not free to be free, but boy, it's amazing to be free. Sometimes we, a lot of people bemoan the fact that this generation that's up and coming, they don't appreciate it, and I think there's always been people that don't appreciate it, but let us stand faithful to appreciate and be thankful and grateful for the freedom that we still possess in this country. So last week we started, <clears throat> we got to do a little brief review, and then we got a, the second part of last week's teaching. Last week we started talking about what must I do to be saved, and the reason for this, if you guys remember, what must I do to be saved is the most important question any human will ever ask. It's the most important question ever laid on anyone's heart that ever is, has that ache to be answered. What must I do to be saved? If we can answer that question with the truth, we answer that question with the truth for ourselves, every other question ceases to matter almost at all. That's, that's the question. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be translated from this kingdom of darkness, which every human is aware of, into the kingdom of light, into right standing with the Father, where we will reign in this life and in the one to come as sons and daughters of the king? It's the most important thing. Last week we talked about 
what must I do to be saved? We looked at a whole bunch of different scriptures. We're not looking at nearly that many today. We're looking at three different chunks of scripture, but we're gonna kind of talk through. We talked last week, salvation is an exclusive deal. This isn't preached very common this way because we're all about inclusion, but it is very exclusive. You have to meet the criteria to be saved. Now, this, that sentence, everyone's, I can see everyone's just kind of like easy there, preacher. We have to meet the criteria, but... I got good news. The criteria is you must know that you need it. You must need it, and you must know that you need it. Because how many of you know that a drowning person that doesn't think they're drowning, though they be drowning, if they don't think it and they don't understand it, it's very difficult for them to reach out and take hold of the life preserver that's thrown their way. Because they've got it. Now, the lifeguard on the side of the pool may be very well aware they don't have it. That's not what having it looks like. But if they don't perceive it, they will never reach out and take hold of it. So you have to need it. That's, that's the prerequisite. you got to need salvation. And now we look out and we're like, well, everybody needs it, so is everyone saved? No. You have to need it and you have to know that you need it. And when you know that you need it, you will by default reach out and take it. That's how this works. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So needing Jesus as your Savior, knowing you need him as your Savior, and choosing to believe in him, that's what you must do to be saved. And all these other 4,700 things that you... No, no. There's a lot of great things to do. And everyone's looking at me. I understand everyone's probably tired. We had a lot of stuff going on this week. But I want you to get here with me this morning for a few minutes. This isn't going to be the longest teaching I've ever done. If you can get here with me for a few minutes. It is important that we know this the way that Adam knew Eve. And everybody kind of gets a little funny about that. But when the Bible uses the word know, it's like know to the degree that there's offspring that it reproduces in our lives. As the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and they conceived and bore a child. Well, that's different than, hi, how's it going, isn't it? That's, that's experiential knowledge to the degree that it begins to replicate in our lives. It's important as believers today that we nail down what must I do to be saved. Number one, so that we receive salvation. Number two, so that we can accurately carry this message to the world, to the people that are around us, so that when we have hope, Paul explains it like this, be ready always to give a reason and an answer for the hope that is within us. Be ready always, which by default, if you read that sentence in reverse, it's possible for us to have hope and not be ready to give an answer. That kind of checks my spirit, my soul a little bit, my, my intellect, my understanding a little bit to back up. Wait a second. I can be born again, and I cannot be ready to give an answer. It's possible, because if he gives us the instruction to be ready, then implied in that is that we may not be ready unless we choose to be ready. Make ourselves ready to root ourselves and ground ourselves Verse 7 of Colossians chapter 2 says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. 
And we skipped way ahead in what I gave you, Tammy. I, we're just we're going to go back to where we started. But I, I love that picture that it's about roots growing down and being built up. As we had, I had a conversation this morning about corn growing and kind of where it's at, and it starts to tassel. And as this corn's tasseling now, is it probably sweet corn? It's real short. It's probably sweet corn. Like, I don't know exactly where it's at. But we were talking about that, and I immediately thought about this verse and how when corn grows, it roots down and it's built up. It roots down so that it can build up. It can't build up, and then it's like, well, you know, we've got to about six, seven feet tall as a plant. We're doing pretty good. Let's send down some roots now. That's ridiculous. You all know that's absurd. No plant would ever make it more than this tall if it chose to go, we're going to do rootless. We're going to go rootless. Non-GMOs and non-root corn. Like, it's never going to grow. It won't grow. It can't stand up. When we get wind like we've just experienced this last, what was it, Friday night, Thursday night, Friday night, we had all that wind. All the corn that was rootless corn would be flat corn. It would cease to grow. So it roots down, as, we, as believers today, we root down in order that we build up. And when we build up, we bear fruit. This is all, it's just this, I know we're not going to go back through Mark 4 for the next nine weeks like we did a couple years ago. But I love this picture of being root down and built up in him, established established. Has anybody, anybody in here ever, uh, there's many, I look around, there's many of you have some ties or you maybe know where your family farmstead or your family, like we came from whatever country in Europe and this is kind of where we were at and, and maybe, maybe some of it's close around here, maybe some of it's on the east coast and maybe somebody doesn't and that's okay, but you might still be familiar, you see an aerial photograph, everybody's seen People that used to fly around take pictures, they probably still do, but they, drones, it's a little different now. They used to fly around, and then they'd get like two copies of your house made and all painted up nice. They'd put them in the trunk of their Buick, and they'd drive around, and they'd sell them to, they'd, everybody familiar with that? Anybody ever? It was just me. Few of us had it. So in those aerial photographs, there's some cool stuff. Now, they touch things up, which I was like 25 before I realized that the grass wasn't actually that green in the family, in the picture of our farm. But if you see the untouched versions, aerial pictures reveal buildings that used to be there. Now, foundations, it may be foundations that are still like buried way down deep because that's how we used to do it. It's like, well, we're down to the dirt level. That's probably fine. Now we tear them out. Even foundations that aren't there anymore, but were there for 100 years. Well, the grass just grows funny there. It's maybe three, four feet down that the compaction's a little bit different, but you can see where they were. This is the picture that I get of being established in the faith. So that whether it's aerial flying over or up close and personal, we can see the outline of faith in our lives. Does that picture, does that paint a little bit of a picture that in this verse 7 of Colossians 2, being rooted and grounded, built up and established. Established so that generations to come, the outline of our faith is still visible. This is, genera- this is when like, you pass on, you know, uh, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. For the longest time I thought, well, so anyone that doesn't leave their kid and grandkid money is not a wise man. Now, obviously I've grown a little bit in my walk with Jesus to see that that inheritance that he's talking about isn't just money. In fact, I dare say it's primarily not money. It's an inheritance of faith 
that outline of an established faith in the family farmstead where it's like there used to be a barn there. We tore it down in 1905, and in 2022, you can still see every summer after it quits raining for a while, you walk over, what's this brown strip here? Well, there was a barn there like 120 years ago. And something in the makeup of that soil changed. We can change the makeup of the soil of our families with this understanding of what this gospel is. As we root down, we build up, and we become, we become established in the faith. As you've been taught, abounding with it, and that's the second, that's a, it's like the fourth point of this, that you abound in it. As the plant of corn roots down, and as it's built up, it begins to abound, and you'll see come October what that abounding, a bountiful harvest looks like. We skip to the end of the second page of notes. We're going to go back to the beginning. Last week we talked about 1 John chapter 1-9, how this is not a prescription for believer, believers who periodically sin. 1 John 1-9 is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That can be confusing to a believer who put our faith and trust in Jesus and we were cleansed of all unrighteousness and then it's like, so keep confessing and keep being cleansed. Did Jesus do it? Did he, is he still doing it? Do I have to do it? What, where's my role in this? And we understood, we looked at that in a little bit of depth last week, that really what John was getting at is not a prescription. It's not a take one of these every time you sin with water and probably should have food because otherwise you get an upset stomach and then you'll be good. That's not what it was. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 was descriptive of what actually took place when you got born again. If you were a noun in the noun condition of sin. Confess that. Believe in Jesus. He's faithful and just. He forgives you of sin and he cleans you. And I'm telling you, church, when Jesus is done cleaning you, you're clean. When Jesus says you're clean, you're clean. And you're, you don't get to bring, well, I'm gonna, you know what? So opposing counsel brings a testimony and it's like, no, no, he's not clean. Jesus, the gavel's already down. When Jesus says you're clean, there is no opposing counsel. It's done, you're clean. And so we talked about that. We talked about Nicodemus and how he heard Jesus explain what it meant to be born again. We're not gonna re-preach all this. Acts 16, we looked at the Philippian jailer who found himself at the very end of himself, ready to take his own life. He had no hope. The jail that he was entrusted with. This was not a situation where he had, you know what, I'm gonna call my attorney because you know the Roman government, they're not gonna toast me on this. There was no attorney representing this jailer. He understood I lost the prisoners, I'm donezo. I have no hope in this life. And he thought, rather than them off me after torturing me and beating me, I'll just off myself. And I say that with all, I'm not saying that to be light. I'm just, I wanna talk through this. We talked about that last week. And at the end of himself, confronted by Paul and Silas, they said, give us a minute. Hang on, hang on, give us a minute. Give us a minute, we're all still here. And he saw, what is wrong with these people? Why are they still here? They're singing songs, and then the whole jail was still there. This is, these people are unhinged, and he's like, but they are at peace, and I am not at peace. What must I do to be saved? We talked about the Israelites up against the Red Sea at the end of themselves, and they cried out to Moses. They said, what? Was there not enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to die? They were like the Philippian jailer at the end of themselves. And Moses replied, similar to what Paul said, stand still and you will see the salvation of the Lord. We looked 
in brief, not depth, but in brief last week at Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10 that reads, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, if anyone's here this morning and they're looking for a life verse, Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news. That's good news because there's no, it's not whoever does X, Y, Z and fills in all the blanks properly and walks just like this this certain way and does all, they will be saved? No. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning we're going to continue this discussion, this conversation regarding what must I do to be saved. How many of you know that right believing will always ultimately lead to right living? If you believe correctly, ultimately it will lead to right living. We, it becomes dangerous, and we've talked in depth about this, and many of you are probably tired of this part of this discussion, but it becomes dangerous when we start ascribing a timeline to this, and we start saying, well, I started believing right on January 1, and by February 1, I was pretty much free from whatever the particular bondage of sin was, and so then we look at everyone else around us that is where we were on January 1, and we're like, 30 days, that's how long this, ta- this treatment takes, and then you'll be clean. Because how many of you know that all of us have our own backstory? All of us have our own set of circumstances. All of us, just like every field in Fulton County, is made up of its own unique drainage system, or lack thereof, its own unique set of soil types, its own subsoil, which affects how the crops grow. There's no field is exactly the same. And so no seed will grow exactly the same time, exactly the same yield, exactly the same weed pressure. It affects everybody differently. But we do know that right believing will ultimately lead to right living. Right living will never on its own lead to right living. Right believing, sorry. Right living will never on its own lead to right believing. Because if we're focused on right living as the vehicle for our correct believing, well, that's fine if you're living right. But we've talked about this. Righteousness isn't a sliding scale, and right living is unattainable. You think you're doing it right now? You think, I'm living pretty right. Well, pretty right isn't right. It's either perfect or nothing. Right standing with the Father is 100 or zero. If you can't do 100, 99.9 is not a number of righteousness. You're either completely righteous or you are not righteous at all. The law, Paul explains that the law is a composite whole. If you offend or break, James talks about this, if you break the law, if you offend it in one point, you tweak it just a little. It's like, well, it was like one thing. It's like, and I know that you've heard me, you've heard probably everybody that's ever spoke here talk about this, that the law is representative of a, it's like a pane of glass. And, and all of us know that if you shoot a 22 bullet through the corner of a window, even though it just makes, maybe makes a tiny hole, the window is all junk. Like, well, we could just fix that one little spot. I encounter this doing what I do, I, welding and repair work. People have something and it needs repair. And it's like, we just want to fix this one little tiny piece. Sometimes that works, welding. Sometimes it's like, that is not going to work. 
The whole thing is junk. Because of the way it's twisted or the way it's tweaked, it's junk. But a, a, a pane of glass is so clear of a picture that once it's got a hole in it, the whole thing's junk. And it doesn't matter if it's one pane of glass from that wall to that wall, all the way across the back, and the hole through it is the size of a BB. That whole chunk of glass is broken. Considered broken. It has no, its integrity has been jeopardized. That's how righteousness is. I'm getting aside. So often in our quasi-Christian culture, we see, when we see someone whose life seems to be spiraling down the drain, our first thought can be, they should really change their lives. Maybe they should come to church. Possibly even get born again. It seems like a fair thought. That progression. Has anybody else ever had that progression? You see someone and it's like, man, they need to get their life figured out. Maybe you've been that person. I've been on both sides of that. People have looked at me and thought that, and I've looked at others and thought that. And it's like, they should get their life figured out. They should make different choices. Maybe they should even come to church. Maybe after that, you know, you get those two things kind of rolling, maybe they should get born again. Seems like a good thing. Seems like a fair thought. Maybe even a bold conversation. If you're here today, maybe you're thinking, "That's a con- I just need to have the courage to talk to so-and-so in my life and tell them, you've got to get your life right. But it could be possibly a form of self-righteousness. We got the order all wrong. It's not when our lives are spiraling out of control we need to fix our lives. As our lives, as the lives of the people around us are spiraling out of control, we need to carry them the life vest, the life preserver. The metaphor of swimming continues that when someone is drowning is not the time for swimming lessons. You're doing, you're doing the, you do the breaststroke right now. You're sinking to the bottom of the pool. Try this. Maybe try this one. It's not working. You're still on the bottom of the pool. Do this. That's not, you all, we all know I look like a fool doing that, but that's like, that is not going to help someone. In fact, no one wants to tell someone's family they were, they were drowning and it was unfortunate. I was trying to teach them how to swim. But you, you were doing what? Well, I showed them a few things to try. I told them, start, hold your breath. Hold it a little longer. Try some of these things. That's ridiculous. If we actually care about the drowning victim, the very first, the most important, the only thing we do is seek to rescue them. They just need to get out of the pool. They need to be saved. They're not, this isn't working. Swimming lessons, no matter how good the instructor, it's too late. It's too late. It's not going to happen. As believers today, we are carrying life preservers. But so often we can get caught up and it's like, there's a whole bunch of drowning people out there. Let's start swimming lesson classes. It's not the time. It's not the time. Let's get them born again. As they're spiraling, let's share the gospel. Carry this good news. Help them to understand what it means to be made right with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read this chunk of scripture and then talk through it. And it's looking like we're not going to get further than that today. And you, he made alive. 
Who's he? Jesus. Made us alive, who were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, as you, you guys been here for any length of time, that's one of my favorite two word verse increments in all scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can hear what I've shared this morning up to this point, and someone could say either that I'm giving people a license to sin, or that I'm down on behavior or doing good things. I'm absolutely for behavior. I'm absolutely for doing good works. Not dead works, but good works. But understand, we were created for good works, not from them. This is a distinction worth making. It's not our good works that create us. It's not get born again and it's an entrance one entry, one ticket into a morality competition where you'll be measured by your works. You'll be weighed in the balances of others' good works and hopefully you measure up. That's not what salvation is. We were created for them. Good works don't create us. When we attach right standing to God, with God to our works, our behaviors, we become self-saved. We are described as co-heirs with Christ, not co-saviors with him. We don't all participate in our being saved. We believe and he saves. You say, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you, so you may think that my metaphors are, eh, there's some holes in some of my metaphors, okay? But understand Paul, he got pretty extreme here. He said, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So Jesus made you alive. Now, a drowning person, there's a chance someone that's drowning could maybe make it. I mean, we, paint, we picture it, but, but a dead person is dead. I use the pictures of drowning. It's like this, you know, they're still struggling and striving. Paul's like, you're dead. It's over. You're separated. Finisto. There's nothing else. You're dead. We're dead. He made you alive. He uses such extreme and violent pictures that they were dead. We were dead. There was no life in us. No pulse. It was, and he made them alive. At that point, how much does the dead person have to do with being made alive? 
This sounds extreme and maybe this sounds simplistic. I just want us to grow big and strong in this. and I feel like I'm supposed to stay here a little while. He made us alive. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Skip on down to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. uh, 2 and 3 talks about we were all there. Everybody's been dead. We've all been dead and living according to all the dead stuff. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy. How many know a simple definition of mercy is not getting what we deserve? God, who is rich in mercy, in not giving us what we deserve. Great, a simple little thing. This is a maybe cliche, but mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting something we don't deserve. It's a real simple little paradigm, but kind of an easy way to at least get you headed down the right path on this. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive. Now, I skipped because of his great love, with which he loved us. How many of you know with which is... We, won't, we don't talk in those, maybe quite those words today. But because of his great love, and then he, you know, there's a, there's a qualifier in there, even when we were dead in trespasses, because of his great love, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, here we go. We got mercy and before it and grace after it. We didn't get what we deserved. In fact, we got something we don't deserve, which is grace, the free gift of salvation. Because of his great love, this massive love, this agape, undeserving love that nobody in this room, nobody that's ever lived deserved, Jesus says, I love them this much. The very nature of God's kind of love, the definition of agape love is undeserved, unearned. You can't, it's not, it's not <clears throat> phileo love, brotherly love. It's like, well, I love you because you love me. You might have heard Danny share that we met yesterday morning and think, Wow, that's amazing that Isaac, like, he, like, they got together, and, and I want to point out, I made the coffee. Like, I gave him the coffee. I want some credit for this. But how many of you know, when 90% of the time when Markley comes to my house, he's bearing gifts. Like, the coffee I made him yesterday, that was phileo love, brother. That was not, it was not agape love. He deserves way more than coffee. I should have got him T-bone steak and eggs. He's always bringing stuff over. So, just, that's a... That's earned, that's brotherly, it's like, we're back and forth. This is agape, this is God's kind of love. This is undeserved, this dead guy, God loves so much, they come to life. This is spiritually the reality of anyone who is born again, is you were dead. You were dead. Corpse, nothing. And he loved you so much, and that love contained so much spiritual energy that you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. It's amazing how involved in this we like to get ourselves. Only when we do good. Like, I'm aware and we're all aware that when we have epic failures, it is amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But you know, when, when we're doing pretty good, we sometimes shift into how great I art. And it's like, I'm doing pretty good. Let us fall again. We're right back to amazing grace. We understand this in our failures. We need to, I, I'm, it is my prayer that we get rooted and grounded. Ephesians chapter two, this passage, one through 10. It is, Paul leaves no room for us, you know, it's like Jesus did it's like 50 or maybe 75% and we're on for the last, the remaining 25. Everybody in here probably has had some interaction with copay medical stuff in the last 20 years. 
And it's like, you feel really good when you sign up for your health insurance program and it's like, man, they're gonna pay 80%? So if I have a $100 bill, and we run these scenarios, and if you don't, the insurance representative does for you. So like if your bill is $100, we'll pay 80 of it. Which is like on a $100 bill, that's like, thank you, Jesus, here's 20 bucks and I'm rolling on. But like when was the last time anybody had a $100 bill anywhere? It's less good news. I mean, it's still good news, but it's less good news when it's like your bill is $187,000. But it's okay. You're only on the hook for $47,000. But I, I paid the, the premium. Could we just do the premium thing and you pay all of it? Well, so you 80 20, this is your copay. It's like, oh my, that's not, they, they said it was going to be $100 bills and we were going to pay 20s. Do you see this? This copay thing is fine for small things. The magnitude of our salvation, our 5%, if we wanted to do it that way, you would never pay it. It would be akin, and it's actually greater than this, but this is just our little picture. If your medical bill was a billion dollars, billion with a B, and you got a 20% copay, but it's okay, you've got 10 days to pay it. What? I could never pay that. Which is why, and Paul does such a great job in Ephesians, you're not doing the copay thing. It doesn't work in Christianity. You can't pay it, it costs too much. And Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it all. He made you alive. He made you alive. Do you know, the, the, I just want to park here on this Ephesians 2 for just a little bit. This alive and dead, con, this contrast in the metaphorical pictures for us today. You know, a person dies, their estate stands good for what they owe. Do you know that they personally don't stand good for anything anymore? When we check out of this life and we go to be with Jesus, the, the IRS, they may... Uh, he owes us a bunch of money. I mean, you can't prosecute. I left. I'm dead. A dead man has no ability to pay or make debts right. And spiritually, church, before Christ, we don't have an estate. We don't have an estate to stand good for us. So Jesus makes us co-heirs. He says, I have an estate that will stand good for all of that. I have an estate. I'll make you right. I'll cover all of this. I'm going to breathe life into you. I'm going to make a dead man alive. Because of his great love, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And I love that Paul, you know, the book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. It was not written to the churches in Pettisville. But it was written to us because we were believers coming after. But I, I read this and I'm like, I wonder either humanity hasn't changed a lot since Paul walked the earth or he was seeing supernaturally into the future because he tagged on verse 9. Like, verse 8 a good verse. Let's just read verse 8, and you can make this, like, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go home and eat. But he's like, 
Just to clear up any confusion you guys may come up with in 2022, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Just so that nobody gets to boasting, this is one of the, it's not of works, nobody's boasting. So much so that, and thank you Jesus for this, many of us have memorized verse 8 and 9. Because we need that 9. As people, we need that 9. We are living in a carnal world. We're here, and in this world, this natural world, everything, we operate in what I refer to as a meritocracy. Based on merits, things happen or don't happen. And that's, we have to have that in the natural. It's important for how this works. If you work 100 hours, you should be compensated for more than working five in the natural. In this, in the, as we're kind to others, others show kindness to us. This is in the natural, this is how this all works. Spiritually speaking, and this is why Paul put this, this qualifying statement of verse nine, not of works so nobody can boast. Because, because of that merit-based system that all of humanity operates on, it's so easy to get back into that merit. It's so easy to think, for by grace I've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God and now I am living awesome. And I start to count my awesomeness. That's like, I've got like my awesomeness scales like 100 and that person's maybe like a 50. And so I may be a little better than that person. Or maybe my awesomeness scales a 50 and they're like a 1,000 and so I start to think of myself less. And I start to think, they go to church every Sunday and I go to church once a month. And they serve on teams and I don't serve on teams and we can become self-focused. And we can, so there's a negative side of this works. Does everybody see that? Like we oftentimes look at it only from the, I'll call it the positive twist where it's like, well, I'm doing pretty good and, and oh, it's not of works, I gotta. But it's also not of works the other way. Where, but the enemy wants to always get us into this flesh, keep us operating in this carnal. Let us allow the carnal rationale that we operate in to pollute and to come filter into our relationship with Jesus. Remember, we were created for good works, not from them. This doctrine of a behavior savior has permeated the halls of Christendom for generations. Our behavior does matter. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Make no bones about that. This is not a license to sin Verb, sin. This is an honest understanding that our behavior does not play a role in making us right with God. Nor does it play a role in us staying right with God. Our choices regarding the things we do have a massive impact on this natural life. They do. They have a massive impact on how we share this gospel that we have received. We're going to look at one more scripture and then we'll, well, there's two, there's two more. I know, but I have two more that are like, that are four today. Colossians chapter two, verses one through 10. I'm going to read through this and then we'll see where we go from there. For I want, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all Riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, 
Yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We talked about this verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men. We just talked about that. According to the basic principles of the world. We just talked about that. And not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus, walk so walk in him. And we just kind of, we just talked about this in depth. I'm not going to re- rehash all of this. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how you receive Christ Jesus. We just looked at this. We receive Christ Jesus the same way a dead man receives life. No bearing on it. We received it. It was a gift. Stay there. So walk in him. Walk in him as you began in grace, by faith, believing. Believing through grace. This, the other scripture I was going to look at, Galatians chapter 3, if you just want to bring up Galatians chapter 3, maybe just like verse 1 and 2, we'll, we'll look at these very, very quickly. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? This is where we're going to We'll wrap up from this point on. How do you think you end up getting a letter from Paul that starts out, you, well, this doesn't start out, it's the beginning of chapter three, but there's, this is kind of the theme all through Galatians. How do you get Paul to write you a letter calling you foolish? It wasn't, he wasn't calling them foolish because they weren't born again. He wasn't calling them foolish because, well, they were just misbehaving a bunch. He called them foolish. This is one of the strongest rebukes in all of Scripture. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? If you understand, and many of you do, most of you do understand Galatians, the picture in Galatians is that they have gotten back into works. They had gotten back into, and that's why he asked this question in verse 2. This only. He's like, just one thing. I got one question for you. You can kind of hear the urgency in his voice. I just got one question. Did you receive, and this is a, oh, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for. This is a rhetorical question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? He knew the answer. They knew the answer. He knew that they knew the answer. That's how we operate in rhetoric. It's, I just got this one question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works by the hearing of faith. Return to that. Return to how you, and in Colossians he says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Saying, in Colossians it's on the front end, in Galatians we see it kind of correction on the back end. Stay how we began in Christ. Guard against Dragging things into this gift of salvation. Adding 
behavior qualifiers. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And as we sow to the flesh, as we sow to that, we'll reap corruption. But it's important that we understand that our behaviors or misbehaviors are not attached to our salvation. They may be attached to this life. There's stuff we can screw up in this life. I want to say, can I get an amen, but not in an amen good kind of way. We can screw this life up. We have the opportunity to choose foolishly. But our foolish choices do not have hooks and lines in our salvation dragging them down into corruption. As we've seen this morning with a few of Paul's letters, humanity tends towards behavior modifications. Like, you see this, two letters, and this is not the only two spots in Scripture that we see it, but in Ephesians we see him laying down the law, clearly laying down the law. He made you alive. We were dead. He made us alive. This is how the gospel works. And then we see this correction, in, or this, this warning in Colossians and this correction in Galatians because they're veering off into self-helps, into performance. Well, but, but, but what, about, what about circumcision? Should we maybe, like Jesus and circumcision? What about Jesus and we'll keep the law and Jesus both? Like we could just do the two together because like we've been doing the law thing for like 1,500 years and like you can make the case it's not working well, but we should still do it. No, it's Jesus. Stay the course. Keep believing enduring faith it's not it's not enduring works that gains approval it's enduring faith it's believing keep believing keep believing keep believing active present tense keep believing and it's not keep believing in ourselves it's faith in Jesus and as we remind ourselves of this and we wrap this around our brains I used to say wrap my brain around it, but I want to wrap this around my brain. Like you do, you know, some, there's some people in here that do some plumbing periodically, and there's like, sometimes you put insulation around things, like pipes, hot water pipes, you put insulation, they stay warm. I want to wrap this right around here. I want to wrap this right around here. This principle of salvation. We begin with Jesus saving us. We end with Jesus saving us. This is the gospel. We must stay on Jesus. This is the deep things of God. There's, there's all kinds of principles and concepts in here. Do you know the hardest thing for us as humanity to really understand? And this, some of you may think, oh, I gotta think about that. That's okay, you got the whole rest of the day to think about this. One of the hardest things for us to understand as humans is why someone with no, they stand to gain nothing, would give you everything. Now, stand to gain nothing, choose to give you everything. Add a little caveat there with the possibility that you would reject it. Well, that's just impossible for us to understand. Extend the gift of everything with no possibility of gaining anything, with the possibility very real that it's rejected. 
These are deep things. You say, that seems salvation simple. It is very simple, very difficult for us to understand. It is the deep things of God for him to love us so much that he would send his son to pay a penalty in our place so that we could be brought potentially. Like, that just blows my mind. It wasn't even like, well, if I send Jesus, they're all coming home. If I make the sacrifice of sending my son to the earth to pay their price, they better all come home. That part's not there. He just loved the world so much that he sent his son so that anybody who believes in him. That's amazing, church. That's love. That's agape love. We begin with Jesus saving us, and we end with Jesus saving us. And as we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, there's a whole new identity, and there's a lot to it. There's a bunch that goes with it as an inheritance, not as a wage. That's important to understand. Everything that we have in Christ Jesus is a gift. Everything. You can choose to use it. You can choose to have it. We can choose. And there's a whole bunch. We're not going to get into all that this morning. That I just want everything that comes after. Every, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And you inherited it. You didn't earn any of them. We inherited them. We didn't earn any of them. That principle of inheritance is just massive. Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2 says, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. I love that. He didn't just draft the plans. You know, you build a new building, you gotta get prints. Everybody's gotta get prints. And you gotta get a whole stack of prints and they print it on paper bigger than anybody else has and then you take it and you gotta get them approved and you get the electrician's copy and the concrete guy's copy and the dirt guy's copy and the shingles and all these, uh, these copies and then you got, but before you get those, you get the county engineer or the city uh, council. They, everybody's got their copies of your prints so everybody can look through them and say, well, I don't think that's quite right there. Can we change that? All these prints, but understand, then the last guy to come through on a, on a new construction, you got the guy that comes in and puts the sod down. And it's like, well, that guy, how is that guy connected to the guy with the prints for all the people? And you got the sod guy, and then you got the guy that's like, oh, also, and this is my personal favorite. There's, there is an individual in our midst this morning that is particular enough with this construction finishing touches thing that if the screws on your light covers. You know, you know there's those screws that hold your light switches in? We should make them all this way or all this way, not like this. This all should be the same. You should just go through and make them all the same. How is that guy the last thing? It's like they already moved in and this guy's coming for the last little walkthrough. He's like, hey, do you like your new house? It's like, oh, you know what? I got a screwdriver. I'm just going to go through and tweak. What are you doing? I'm just fixing these screws because the electrician has to go through. How is that guy connected to the blueprint guy? In your faith walk, it's the same guy. It's the same guy. He drew the prints. 
He delivered all the materials. He walked through construction. And he straightened all the little screws on all the little outlets. And when they take the stickers off your new windows, he was there with aerosol and he cleaned the new windows so that they didn't have the glue stuck where the stickers were. He's the author and the finisher. We start with him saving us and we end with him saving us. This is what it means to be born again. This morning as we go from this place, I'd like to close with a declaration. If you would, stand with me this morning. If you're here this morning and you've believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth you are now a son or a daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who was and who is and who always will be. You are a joint heir with his son, Christ, Jesus Christ. You're a joint heir of all the promises of God. We declare the courage this morning to rejoice. Declare that over this family, that no matter where we are, what we see with our natural eyes, we may remain fixed on the reality in the spiritual that we are the righteousness of God, created in Christ Jesus. We choose today to draw our strength from the joy of the Lord, which is our only natural response to this great salvation that we are partakers in. We thank you, Lord, that we can declare your words over us, that we are blessed in the city, we're blessed in the country, when we rise up and when we lie down. All the work of our hands is blessed. We, thankful, we are thankful this weekend for this free country, for all those who have gone before us to ensure that we can stand today as free. We are so much more thankful for our spiritual freedom that we have been translated from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you would, bow with me. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that even as we sometimes get a little involved and we hang sheets of drywall the wrong way in our house of faith and we put the shingles on for carpet, Lord, that he's still the author and the finisher and he'll pull the shingles up and he'll put them where they belong. He'll replace the drywall that we've cut wrong and installed wrong. And Father, that he will walk with us. We thank you, Spirit, Holy Spirit, for being here in our midst, coming to dwell inside of us, these earthen vessels. I love the picture of the earthen vessels that we, we break easy. We got some cracks, some leaks. But you chose to come inside of us and make us worthy. We just declare that with boldness this morning over this body. That you have made us worthy. You've chosen us to be your sons and daughters. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. We lift his name above every, every name, every name of sickness, every name of fear and worry, every name of anxiety, every name of success, every, every name of concern lift the name of Jesus. We understand this morning 
that it is you who began a good work in us and that you will complete it. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week and a happy Independence Day.